0: Hey, we are at the conclusion, the grand finale of a series I'm calling The Quest. And it is a series all about the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you've not been part of this series, you're here at the end. And the the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, we think it's King Solomon, uh, the Hebrew is Kohelet, and it can be rendered the preacher or the convener or the professor or the quester. He has taken us through this grand philosophical experiment about the deepest questions of human existence. And I have been struck by how many of you have told me throughout this, I mean pleasantly surprised, how many of you have told me Ecclesiastes is like my favorite book of the Bible. Especially pleasantly surprised to hear how many young people are telling me that. I'm all about this. And I think it has to be because, surely it has to be because, the writer of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, is asking the right questions. He's not afraid of the hard questions. He's not afraid to to really ask of the world, what is the point? What is the meaning? What happens to us? Are we any better than than, than those that aren't even created? What's the point of all this? It's the right questions. It's the questions that have been asked as long as there's been humans. To demonstrate this point. That everybody asks these questions. That these are questions that are, that are part of what it means to be human. To demonstrate this point, I have designed a little game show. And I'm calling the game show, Solomon or Not Solomon, okay? Now here's how you're going to play this game show. Get with the people on your row there and um, you, you see everybody. Okay, that's who you're playing with. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up a quote on the screen and you are going to look at the people in your row and you're going to tell them, and everybody's going to share and you're going to come up with an answer on the people in your row. You're going to come up with, is this quote from the Bible, is this Solomon or not Solomon? Everybody ready? All right. Let's begin. Round one. Solomon or not Solomon? I said to myself, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure. Have a good time. But there was nothing to it. Nothing but smoke. What do I think of the fun-filled life? Insane, insane. My verdict on the pursuit of happiness, who needs it? Go ahead, discuss, discuss. Solomon, not Solomon. Everybody, man, if you're sitting on a row by yourself, you obviously need to find some friends. To play with. All right, let's reveal. It is, in fact, Solomon. There you go. Solomon, give yourselves a hand for everybody. They're like, that's from the message. Yeah, it's still Solomon. Now, round two. They say, people in your life are seasons and everything that happens is for a reason. Solomon or not Solomon? Everybody got your answer locked in? It is in fact, not Solomon. It is is Kanye West who said, people in your life are seasons. Round three. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Solomon or not Solomon? Go ahead, make your decision there. It is, in fact, Jim Carrey. Yeah, not Solomon. Now, you see the point, though. What Jim Carrey, who is rich and famous, says what? I wish everybody got rich and famous so that they could see it's not everything you dreamed of. Round whatever. Why do I have three Super Bowl? Okay, this is this. <laughs> admittedly I'm trying to prove a point, not have a game show. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? Obviously, not a Bengal, uh, and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, "Hey, man, this is what it is. I, I reached my goal, my dream, my life." Me, I think God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27, and what else is there for me? Solomon or not Solomon? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It is, in fact, Tom Brady, uh, in a 60 Minutes interview. Now, he, obviously, he's uh, older than 27 now. He's 44. and um, uh, But it's an incredible interview where he said, I've got it all. And, and he's not prompted. He's just sort of riffing, and he's like, I don't know what else there is, but people told me when I got here, I would have all this fulfillment. And I'm like, is this all it is? It is an incisive uh, social commentary. Um, all right, next round. People, I, I also thought about the human condition, how God proves to people they are like animals. Go ahead, Solomon or not Solomon. Go ahead. Eh, it's getting tricky. Oh, a little quieter now. Yeah. Go ahead, you making your, yeah. And if you said... Solomon, you are correct. That is Solomon, under the sun. All right, just a couple more here. Same old song, just a drop of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see dust in the wind. <laughs> Solomon or not Solomon? Not. That's exactly right. It is, in fact, Kansas. And dust in the... And that guy in the middle, that is the hair we're going for, folks. That's, that's the goals. All right, last one. I had appeared by chance. I existed like a stone, a plant, a microbe. I could feel nothing to myself but an inconsequential buzzing. I was thinking that here we are eating and drinking to preserve our precious existence and that there's nothing, nothing, absolutely no reason for existing. Solomon or not Solomon? I tricked you on the first one. It was a modern translation. You're wondering, yeah. the answer is Jean-Paul Sartre, yeah, existentialist, philosopher. Here I am, a microbe, I came from nothing, I'm going to nothing, and there's absolutely no reason for existing. Give yourselves a hand for playing Solomon or not Solomon. That concludes the game show. But I hope you see it. It, it proves my point. Here's Sartre going, it sounds just like Solomon under the sun. If we came from nothing, let me read it again. There's educators in this city and county, and we need to thank God for them, but, but, but they're pushing against what is the... the, the, the 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 religion of the state is there's no reason for existing. So you have teachers who have to tell their uh, kids if they follow the party line, there's there's no reason for existing. And then the next breath say, but be nice to each other. To which if I'm a kid, I'd want to be like, why? I mean, if there's no reason for anything, if it's dog-eat-dog world, then survival the fittest. Why? Why? Sounds like Solomon under the sun. Well, the point is these under the sun questions are questions we all ask. Whether you're an existentialist philosopher like Sartre or whether you're a comedian like Jim Carrey, an artist like Kanye West, or an athlete like Tom Brady, you're, you're left with this sort of, wait, if God has set eternity in the hearts of men, that's from Ecclesiastes 3, then so we know there's got to be something more out there. It seems like a pretty cruel joke if God made it where we, we know there's something more out there if there's not actually more out there. And this is by design what Solomon has done. We're going to be in the last chapter today. If you want to find uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 in your Bible, you want to make your way to chapter 12. We're coming to the very last chapter. He's gone on this experiment, and the professor wants us to see how meaningless life is without God, how little joy there is under the sun. If we leave the creator of the universe out of his universe, then it's pointless. By the time we get to chapter 12, I think we have to admit he has proved his case Nothing in our search has led us home, says Derek Kidner. Nothing that we're offered under the sun is ours to keep. And that is by design. God designed you so that you would know that there's more. He put eternity in your heart. So you would raise your vantage point and look beyond the sun. Look for the one who created the sun. So here we go. He gets to the end. The very last word. I mean, we're going to be in the last two verses of the very last chapter of the whole book. What What is the conclusion he comes to? Here it is. Especially for those of you who've been with us since the very beginning of this series, he's gone on the ultimate philosophical question. He's raised the existential questions of the meaning of life. He's pursued pleasure and feasting. He did the whole live, laugh, love and got the t-shirt and he didn't find what he was looking for there. He looked for meaning in his career and accomplishments and building a national forest in a palace and leaving a legacy. Didn't find it there. He looked for answers in wisdom and in knowledge and the problem of evil and the meaning of suffering and he wrestled through the hard questions. And here he comes to the end of all this. What is the fruit of the greatest grandest experiment in the history of humankind, what does he come up with? Chapter 12, verse 13. I feel like we should play Pomp and Circumstance and throw our hats in the air and have a drum roll. Here it is. This is everything. The last and final word is this. Fear God. And uh, do what he tells you. It's been a great series. Our musicians are going to... I'm just kidding. Like... Did I leave any? I mean, is that it? Oh, I did leave off. Sorry. Is that it? There is more to the verse. Okay, yeah. Uh, The last and final word is fear God. Do what he tells you, and that's it. So, okay, there you go. Womp, womp. I mean, yeah, a little anticlimactic, isn't it? And verse 14, he tells you why. If if you don't like, well, if if you don't, that's from the the message paraphrase. I love that. Fear God, do what He tells you, and that's it. Here's the ESV. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And He tells you why. Verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's it. Fear God, obey His commands. He's going to judge. Like, that that, would, that wouldn't even get double-digit likes on social media. I mean, that could fit on a bumper sticker. That's it? That's it? Yeah. That's it. So, if, if, if this seems like something's missing, this is the Bible. This is the, the fruit of this grand experiment. And so, if something's missing, the problem is not with the Bible. The problem's with us. So, we've got to unpack this a little bit. And note-takers Rejoice. Uh, yes, I've got three things you can write down in parallel structure. So note takers, uh, I, don't, I don't often uh, make your life easy, but here you go. You ready? We're going to look at the fear of God, the obedience to God, and the um, judgment of God. Got it? Fear of God, obedience to God, judgment of God. We'll walk right through those. You ready? All right, here we go. First, the fear of God. Because that's what he says. Fear God, keep his commandments, because God's going to judge everything. So I thought we'll just take them right there in that order. Verse 13 says, fear of God. Okay, so what does the fear of God mean? Well, you probably know this, but when the Bible says <clears throat> the point of everything, fear God, it doesn't mean fear as in like we normally think of, afraid. It means more like reverence, All So I've got some aspects of the fear of God. And the first one is the fear of God means reverence. I wonder if maybe we've lost something of the reverence of God we get so familiar with God, and and in in a sense, that's good. We do want to be intimately connected to our heavenly Father. But at the same time, he's also the high king of the universe. He's, he's like our creator, y'all. As in, we didn't create him. He created us. We are his creatures. When we stand before God, we're not standing before a, a, a being that is like us. He is wholly other. And we just take that for granted so much sometimes. I, um, I'm reminded of an a, a older man in our church, back, back in New York, and he had immigrated to the United States from Russia. And he had a, a pretty cool testimony. He uh, grew up uh, far away from the big city, but uh, uh, showed some intellectual promise and so got to go to university at St. Petersburg. When he gets to university at St. Petersburg, um, everybody there was atheist and they had like an atheist, I don't know what you'd call it, like sort of an anti-Bible study, but like an atheist small group. And so he goes and joins that because he's a genuine seeker, a genuine quester himself and was asking honest questions. And there in, in this atheist group, uh, after meeting with them several weeks, he, he, he told them, what you're saying is intellectually dishonest it, 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 and it's not existentially satisfying. And so he, he realizes like the major holes in atheism and meets up on campus. There was a sort of a secret group of Christians who then lead him to the Lord and I just love that. I'm like, so let me see if I understand this when I asked him, you got saved at an atheist small group. He's like, basically, yes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but God, right? But God. I mean, God's gonna do his thing and he's gonna use all this. So it's a great testimony. But here, here's what he said. I heard him say this in a small group and I was so struck by what an insight it was. He said, I have lived in a place of totalitarian absolute power. I know what power is and I know what real submission is. You may think you know that. Here, many of you that grew up in this country, you know, it's a democracy. We'll just vote them out of office, you know, right? I mean, we all have authority that we respect, but nothing like what he's talking about. It, one little example, he lived on, he moved his family from the West Coast to New York. That's how I got to our church. And he, he said, uh, halfway through the journey, he just broke down and wept. He said, I was somewhere in Kansas, and I, Kansas is a kind of a theme, and I, uh, uh, and I started weeping because he was struck by something that we took utterly for granted. He didn't need government permission to move cities he could just move to go make a better life for his family and i thought well yeah you can just move no you can't and we take that for granted anyway he said in this bible study i wonder if sometimes i struggle with understanding the love and the mercy and the grace of god but i very much understand his holiness and his power and that he is untouchable and here's what he said and he wasn't judging anybody and he said i wonder if some of you who grew up here have the opposite problem you immediately get the love and the grace of God, but you struggle sometimes with his holiness and reverence. I thought that was very insightful. It was like he was reading my mail. That's right. Sometimes he, he would say, I, I miss, he would say, I miss the love of a holy God, but sometimes you all miss the holiness of the loving God. Both are important. Fear means reverence, awe of his holiness. He's not like us. And part with that it comes fear of God means to experience the fullness of God. Where does this come from? When you experience the fullness of God, sometimes our lack of fear of God comes from a lack of experience of God. When the holy God of the universe connects with your life, when it intersects with your life, there's a, there's a newfound reverence there in awe. It's not fear like I'm scared, but it's, but it's certainly like I've experienced your fullness. Have you, no, have you ever noticed If you are not from Coleman or if you particularly were not in Coleman in 2011. So I wasn't in Coleman and I wasn't in Coleman in 2011. Have you ever noticed this phenomenon? People that were not here in Coleman in 2011, sometimes, not always, but they seem to react to the news of a tornado watch or a tornado warning a little bit different than the people who were here in Coleman in 2011, right? And so somebody's not from here or not. I mean, they take it serious. We all want to be safe. But people who were not here are like, what's the deal with like the polygon and who's this James Span?" you know? And they don't understand, right? So the tornado sirens go off and they're thinking, oh, cool. I might go out and watch it. Meanwhile, you're like, what? He's down to his suspenders. Grab the helmet into the bait." right? You understand? Why? What's the difference? Oh, there's one very important difference. You've been through it experienced its fullness. And so you have a very different take when you hear Polygon and you hear Tornado. You take it much more seriously. Why? Because you've been through it. You've got some wisdom that comes with experience. And you would say, your problem is you've not experienced the fullness. And that's what I want from God. I want my my reverence to go up, not because I'm I'm scared of him or anything. That's the wrong use of fear. But I want to experience his fullness so that I can realize I'm in the presence of someone I didn't create and I can't manipulate and I don't control. And that leads to a reorientation of my life. Fear of God is reorientation around God. The fear of God means a life that is reoriented around God. So now God is the center and I orbit around God, not the other way around. Um, do, uh, do you know the, 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 the physiological response thing called fight or flight? syndrome. You ever heard of fight or flight? The idea is when a human is faced with a threat, there's this shot of adrenaline, and there's these stories of like moms being able to lift up a car to get the kid that was in danger and all, you know. uh, When you see a a, a bear or a shark or whatever, the bear shark, NATO, when you see this thing, uh, your body suddenly goes into Fight or flight. And the point is, you are now, your whole reality is reoriented around one thing. You have absolute focus and absolute concentration. So when you're out swimming, you're having a lovely beach vacation, and your kid, or you're out there, and you see that shark, you are suddenly reoriented. You're not thinking, did we pay the cell phone bill this month, you know? No, 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 no. It's it's completely focused on that one thing. When a human has experienced the fullness of God, suddenly every decision is made with reference to God. Every life is viewed with reference to God. Every, every, every act of kindness, every sin must be atoned for. It's all, your whole life gets reoriented around one being, God. That's what fear of God means. And finally, fear of God means, and this is going to be tough for many of you to hear, but fear of God means a surrender of control, and that's what makes it so fearful for so many. Now, to be fair, a human never really has control of the universe, A human, however, sometimes has illusion of control. But when you surrender that illusion of control, it's not necessarily a negative thing, not necessarily a bad thing, but we are not in control. God is, and his ways are not our ways. As we acknowledge that, it's fear of God. That's what the fear of God means. Now, that's the first part, fear of God. Fear God. I hope you see what it means. Experience his fullness, a reorienting of our life around him as we revere him as we treat him as completely other and we do not control him manipulate him he is not our personal assistant he's completely other beyond the sun, to use Ecclesiastes language okay that's fear of God so what does obedience to God mean because obedience to God is kind of the same thing as fear of God in the sense of a lot of misunderstanding. When you think fear of God, there's many negative emotions. Same thing with obedience. Obedience is often perceived as a negative thing. Oh, submission to authority and who wants that? And You know, no, no, no. no. Obedience to God is the ultimate freedom. Because if, if we're living life beyond the sun, if we acknowledge there's a creator, we fear him, we, 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 we honor him, we revere him, that means he's in control, I'm not. Then I want to follow him, and here's why. Now, this quote I got to set this up. Th- 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 this one got me. Uh, when it comes to obedience, I I don't know if you're like me. I I don't know if I necessarily want to know everything, but boy, I sure could use some wisdom on some decisions in my life. Are you that same way? I want to know, and there's some things that I really would like to know. You know, and I would love I would love to 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 have sort of a heads up or to know some things, and um, and so. Oh, I I got ahead of myself. Let me just say this here. When I say obey God's commands, when I say keep his commands, can we all be clear? Don't anybody walk out of here with a misunderstanding. When it says fear God and do what he tells you, can we all agree? That does not mean you need to wait for God's whisper on what literally to tell you to do, okay? So if you walk out of here like, fear God, I'm waiting for him to tell me something. Here's what he's telling you. Go to Sunday school. (laughs) But like after that, after that, You don't have to, my point is, you already know what the commands of God are. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says this, he has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. So you already know the will of God. Everybody hear me? You already know the will of God. You, you, You know the commandments of God. If you would like all of the law and the commandments summed up, do it like Jesus. Love God and love people. That's it. You already know the difference between right and wrong. So when it says fear God and do what he says, it means do right. Okay. I don't want anybody going, well, I don't, I don't yet know the will of God. I don't know what He wants you to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. He wants you to love God, love others. You, you know, live pure, live holy. Okay. Right. So obey that, do that. But yeah, I know all that, but I'm kind of looking for that wisdom. Should I do this? Or should I do that? Should I, think about these college graduates. Should I, I mean, I mean these high, high school students that are going to the military, they're, or, they're, or, they're, or they're, they're going to, you know, college. Wh- wh- which branch of the armed services should I join? Wh- wh- what should I major in? Where should I go? What should I do? Who should I, who, who should I date, right? Or, 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 or you know, am, 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 who am I gonna marry? There's single people wondering that, right? Which career path? Should I stay? Should I go? That's the stuff that, to be honest, it really, w- it really would be nice to have a heads up on that stuff, you know? That would be really cool, wouldn't it? So here's the quote. Put all these two things together. You already know what to do. Obey God. And man, if we could just figure this out. This is a quote that was not said, well, I don't know the man who said this. His name was George MacDonald. I don't know him. He was dead long before I was born. But he was a mentor to a good friend of mine. C.S. Lewis, yeah. And here's the quote. You ready? Obedience unlocks the benefits of, of omniscience. Now this one took me a minute. Obedience unlocks the benefits of omniscience. What is omniscience? It means to know everything. Well, who has omniscience? There's only one. Only God knows everything. You don't know everything as a human. I don't know everything, right? We're, none of us. No, no, no. But God knows everything. We don't know everything, but obedience to God's command unlocks the benefits of omniscience. It taps in to the one who does know everything. And he says, love me and love others. And if we will walk in obedience to him, we get the benefit of his will in our life. And he knows everything. To illustrate, this fall, any of you plan to take your kids to the, the, these uh, corn maze things? You ever seen these elaborate, you ever been to these elaborate corn mazes? Massive. And uh, you're, you're walking around with your kids, and it's, you know, you, add, you know, the hot cider and the pumpkin patch and the whole thing. You with me, right? And you're walking through this corn maze, and it's so hot in September, even though they said it was fall, but you're sweating, and a pumpkin spice latte is really making me sick. Yeah, all right, you know what I'm feeling? And it's like so much fun. It's like, oh, no, nope, not here. Let's go back here. Not here. And for the first 10 minutes, it's hilarious. And your kids are like, we're lost in a corn maze. And by minute 15, you're like, yeah, it's still mildly funny. And by minute 30, you're like, I'm out of here, right? I hate this. You know what I mean? Well, what if you had a friend who there's some scaffolding set up next to the corn maze? What if you had a friend who climbs to the top of the scaffolding and he stands up there and there before him is the whole maze? And it takes him like three seconds to realize, oh, yeah, yeah. If you go here, 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 you're out. And he hollers down to you, hey, I'm up here. I can see it. Thank you. Where do we, what, you know, what do we do? All right. Go about 50 yards and then you're going to turn right. Good. Now about 25 yards left. Yep. Keep going. Keep going. Good. Right there. Make a right. Yep. 100 yards. Yep. There it is. There's the exit. Go ahead. Gift shop. Yep. What happened? Your friend had the omniscience. He could see it all. And all you had to do was listen to his voice and do what he said. And obedience, if you would just trust him, if you would walk in that obedience, obedience tapped into, unlocked the benefits of omniscience. Do you see how that applies to our life as a Christian? I don't know the future. I'm not omniscient. And even if I did know the future, I'd manage to mess it up because I would try to predict and I would try to overthink. So here's what I can do. I can trust in the omniscient one and I can every day do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And if I will do that, he will lead me home. And I can trust my future and I can trust all these choices that I don't know. Why? Because obedience unlocks the benefits of omniscience. Now, if you say, if you were, if someone were here to, to say, look, I, I get it. And I know what you're saying, you know, uh, fear God and keep his commandments. But I'm still not convinced. I don't like, I don't like the concept of fear of God. And quite frankly, I don't like, I don't like, you know, obeying. I'm, I don't want to be, I don't want to have God as my boss. I don't want have anybody as my boss. I want real freedom. So I don't like this talk about fear of God and obeying his commands. I don't like that. Well, then with you, I would say, well, then let's take the long way. If you say, I don't like the idea of fearing God and keeping his commandments, then I don't think I would try to necessarily convince you that you have to fear God and keep his commandments. Instead, first, I would simply invite you to examine, well, then whom will you fear and whose commandments will you keep? Because make no mistake, you will fear someone or something and you absolutely will bow the knee, you will absolutely, slavishly obey someone or something. If you don't fill in this blank, fear God and do what God tells you, make no mistake, you will fill that blank in. Make absolutely no mistake, you will fear someone or something and you will live slavishly craving, worshiping what that someone or something does. And if it's not God, it's a counterfeit God. It's an idol. Tim Keller has probably done more thinking about idols in the last uh, 50 years than anybody I know. Here's what he writes in his book, Counterfeit Gods. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family, children, career, making money, achievement, critical claims, saving face, social standing, romantic relationship, peer approval, competence, skills, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty, your brains, a great political cause or social cause, your own morality, virtue, even success in the Christian ministry. Hey... <laughs> When your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, we call it codependency, but it's really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then my life will have meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll be significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one of all is worship. If you're not, listen, you were made to crave. You were made to worship. And so if you not fear God and do what God tells you, then you'll fear a relationship. So of you have a relationship in your life and you'll do whatever that peer group tells you to do. That, that's an example of an idol. How do you, you say, well, how do I know if I struggle with an idol of relationships? Well, here's how you know, or, or of significance, of fitting in, here's how you know. Um, you, will, you find that you will be two different people based on the group you're with. What's happening is you're revealing that I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever because I need this to be complete. If you make a job or career your, your vocation, you will fear that and do what your legacy or your career or your need for comfort tells you above all else. If you fear wisdom and knowledge or being seen as smart and sort of social standing, and then you'll do what that tells you. How do you know you struggle with that? If you always, always, always have to have the last word. If it kills you to leave somewhere and be like, but they didn't, they didn't understand me fully. It's like, well, nobody likes that, but okay, I can live with that. If you can't live with that, why? It's because you've got to keep that command. What about beauty and youth? You know, we have a culture that idolizes beauty and youth. I think that's such a cruel idol, but if you fear the God of beauty and youth, you will do whatever it takes. I think that's an awfully cruel thing for our culture to idolize youth and beauty because as humans, every moment we're like, wrinkling and thickening, you know what I mean? It seems pretty harsh, right? So create a world where we're all aging and yet we're told, reach back for this, for youth and for beauty. And you'll see what people will do to try to recapture that. Well, if, if you, just be warned, if you worship beauty and youth, that is a God that pours out his wrath slowly, year by year. And you will stand unprotected under the relentless wrath of the false god you worship. See, there's only two things that can happen in the case of every idol. You'll either get what you wanted, like Tom Brady talks about a Jim Carrey, those quotes. You'll get what you want and realize it's not fulfilling. Or you won't get what you want and you'll stand unprotected under the wrath of a false god. So what's the solution? Do you just ignore these idols? Do you ignore these things? Do you say, well, none of this stuff matters? Family and career and all? No, if you try to ignore it, like weeds, they grow back. No, it goes back to reorienting our life to God. It's not about ignoring these things. It's about replacing them. The emphasis here Solomon is driving at is fear God, as opposed to all these other things, and do what God tells you, because you're going to fill in this blank somehow. Does that make sense? He's saying fear God, make God your God, and fear him and him alone. Drop the fear of everything else. The secret is not to try to replace these idols so much as uproot, or or excuse me, is not to uproot and remove, but rather replace. So fear God and keep his commands. What commands do you need to keep of the Lord today? You can start today. Some people sort of romanticize, I got to get back, get back to where I was close to God. There's no going back. The past is past. Start today. God's doing a new thing. Fear him. Keep his commands. And finally, the judgment of God. If you go back to verse 14, the final verse in the book, this is how the whole quest ends. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, this is a a sobering verse. And in some ways, it's very scary. In the end, God sees everything, every secret thing, and he's gonna judge. That is very uh, sobering and scary. But I think it's also, at the exact same time, very comforting. Here's why. At the same time, that verse does two things. God is going to bring every matter into judgment. Everything in your life is going to judge. Every secret thing whether good or evil. Two things. It is going to humble those who are proud. So the people that are bowed up and saying, well, you know, they're flaunting God and and they're they're living this life of, you know, evil and hurting other people and they think they're going to get away. Oh, no, no, no. No, if if that's your position, if you're proud, this verse will humble you. No, you are going to face judgment. Okay? But it's also comforting. Why? Because there's, A big group of people who are not proud against God, they are discouraged. Here's what I mean. They're going through life going, doesn't matter. Nobody sees. Nobody notices. It just doesn't matter. I've been secretly helping these little old ladies across the street for years, and not a single one of them will post about it on social media. You know, I get no credit at work. I've been trying to do it right. I've been humble. I've been, you know, being a hard worker and it doesn't matter. The loudmouths that are cheating, they're getting ahead. It doesn't matter. I went out and picked up a bunch of litter, but just my luck, I did it on a county road that they closed for road repair for the next year. So nobody even can go and see all my beautiful work. Nobody knows. It doesn't matter. Wrong. Wrong it does matter there is one who knows for god sees he sees everything and he will bring every deed into judgment whether with every secret thing whether good or evil you see everything matters your whole life, according to this verse, your whole life can be shot through with glory. It's great comfort, and yes, great accountability. It's comfort to know, no, these, these evildoers won't get away with it forever. There is judgment, and, and, and no, there is right and wrong, but it's also accountability. When I'm tempted to lie or cheat or cut corners, guess what? I'm going to face this judge as well. And that's where the book ends. No, God is not under the sun. There absolutely is justice. You don't need to be uh, uh, hanging out with Jean-Paul Sartre going, well, what's the meaning? What does it matter? It's all meaningless. It doesn't matter how you treat people. No, it's the exact opposite because we don't live for what's under the sun. We live beyond the sun and the one who is beyond the sun living for eternity is going to judge everything. So what a way to end a book that says, the whole book is basically asking, does anything matter? And the answer is, well, under the sun, technically, no. But beyond the sun, yes, it all matters. Either everything is meaningless or every life is shot through with glory. Brandon's going to come and lead us in a time of uh, invitation and response. If this is true. And everything matters, and God sees, and we are, so to speak, playing for keeps that eternity is out there and it's real. Does this mean that we will stand before the Lord? Yes. But they're like, okay, but who can do that? Who can say? I mean, you talk about the fear of God and keeping his commands. Who has kept his commands? Who can stand before the righteous judge of the universe? Who can stand at the end? The end of Ecclesiastes says, it all matters and God will judge. So let me ask you, who can stand before that kind of judge? The answer is there's only one. The only one who can stand before the judge of the universe is the judge himself who stands up from his judge's bench, takes off his judge's robe, comes to earth, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem, lives a spotless life and stands in the defendant's dock. And justice came down, didn't it? Jesus Christ is the judge who was judged in our place and for our salvation. And when that gavel fell and when that sentence of condemnation and wrath, every good, every, it's all seen. It's all going to be judged. And when that came down rightfully, that judgment came down, but not on you and me. It came down on the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Jesus, the judge who is judged in our place and for our salvation. Hearing that gospel good news, when he rose from the dead, he invites all to follow him. You know what that means? It means I experience a little more of his fullness every time I hear the gospel, every time I think about he saved me. It makes me want to fear him. It makes me want to obey his commands. It makes me want to long for the perfect justice and the judgment of God. You see that? Fear God and keep his commands. That really is the end. That really is the rightful way to close this great quest. And that's where we'll end our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. The fear of God. The ending. But P.S. He ends the book of Ecclesiastes with the fear of God. That's the ending. But the same guy, Solomon, begins a new book of wisdom called Proverbs by saying the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So here's the end of this quest but it's not the ending. It's the eternal beginning. But that's another sermon series for another day. <laughs> Will you pray with me? God grant us what we need to fear you and keep your commands ever aware of giving account. And God I, you have showed us exactly what's right and wrong. We all know what's right and wrong. We know it in our conscience. We know. Forgive us where we've done wrong and blamed others and, hurt others God I pray that you would grant to us that we might reorient our lives in such a way as to do right that we might trust your perfect sacrifice on the cross that you were the judge judged in our place I pray for somebody who's been hearing these messages and they're still on a quest they're still seeking I pray that today would be the day they receive you as Lord and Savior that this that this book would do its job it would it would pin them down and convict by the holy spirit until they realize they're not going to find what they're looking for under the sun don't don't stop don't relent be relentless oh holy spirit in convicting and drawing the lost to you that they might be saved receive you let that happen today god and for those believers that uh, have found the answer they they have known fear god keep his commandments and that's the whole duty of man They have received your gospel, the judge judged in our place. God, grant to us that we might live more fully into this fear of you and keeping your commands. That we might experience even more of you every day. That's what we want. That's what we long for. God, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.